from the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. But we also we also got finished talking about Woodstock '69, so at some point we can just talk about Woodstock '99 and that whole mess of a documentary. Wow! Yeah, I watched it. Oh wow! 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 It makes me hate all the music that I love. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Oh, oh just Rob, watch it. you Do should you... watch it. It's on what is it? Crave? I think it's on. It's Crave. Yeah, it's on HBO or something. Why does yeah. it make you hate it? Oh, oh just it... I no any. There's, everything is a spoiler. Just, Just watch put a couple it. of hours aside and watch it. Yeah, it's they tried to bring back Woodstock, and it of course was with modern music, and it just it go it gets crazy, and you need to watch it because you'll just be like, man, I hate everyone, fuck everyone, you ruin every nice thing. Way to go, white boys, you ruin all nice things. <laughs> <laughs> was... Yeah, totally worth watching, Rob. I just sat there going like, fuck. Nice. <laughs> because I would Having... have totally been at that show if that had been. I have been to like upstate New York for shows. I can't remember. Like I literally have been to Ithaca. I've been to like I was at. I've been to some crazy rock concerts in upstate New York, and I like don't know how I wasn't there. But that I would have fucking freaked. I would have lost it. <laughs> yeah. It. I don't know. Just watch it. Having. Yeah. Having talked about it briefly in our episode and then having watched the documentary i think that night <laughs> and then going back and listening to our episode to edit it i was like man i i missed the mark on quite a few things i thought i knew about that festival but oh funny but that's not why we're here today we'll just add it to one of the many many bonus episodes we have yet to record yeah we're at a very different speed tonight. Very different speed. No rage. No, uh, I mean, from, different from what's on 99. Yes. I would say this is the opposite. <laughs> As a late 90s listening experience and cultural experience, probably. Yeah. Well, welcome back to another episode of Life to Labyrinth podcast. My name is Bryn. I'm Angie. And I'm Rob. It's your pick, so it is. Well, and I was so excited to watch it again because I've seen it 300 times and I don't care, also watched it again. Uh, but this week we were doing, because we're doing musicals, Moulin Rouge, so the soundtrack to Moulin Rouge, which was a 2001, okay, here's a statement I just learned, a jukebox musical. I have never heard of this, but this is exactly why I loved it so much. Because there wasn't any of this, oh, they're gonna sing about what they're gonna do. Oh, great, oh, we're going into a, it was a, oh, fuck, I know that song. Oh my God, they're doing this song. It was that constant, like, throw in your face recognition of classics and and even some obscure songs and, Anyways, I'm getting way ahead of myself. So, um, 2001 Musical by Boz Lerman, who is wonderful and also very well known for Romeo and Juliet, which is also an eyegasm and very good. Uh, starring Nicole Kidman, Ewan McGregor, the man of my dreams, uh, John Leguizamo, Jim Broadbent, and Richard Roxburgh. I would say 
this was very, very influential in my musical whatever in high school. I have very fond memories of Heather Bird and Jessica Rivington and I driving around in my mom's red Ford Focus, blaring the soundtrack to Moulin Rouge and fighting over who sang Christina for Lady Marmalade. Marmalade. And um, I will tell you just the same way when I watched it the first time and we will play the game, how many times did Angie cry in this movie? I can't think of a better term but to say I was so verklempt in this movie watching it. And even when I rewatch it the whole time, you know, to start off a movie with the man of my dreams, Ewan McGregor, and the very first thing that he sings is Sound of Music, Verklempt. I tear, I, I remember being in the theater going, oh my God, I'm going to cry throughout this movie. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> and there were so many other parts, and even lo- I watched it last night. Same parts, like he'd start singing, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I'm so verklempt for all of this." It was cool. It was just—I remember seeing it, and it was nothing like I'd ever seen. I know the Knight's Tale did this as well, as well, where they all of a sudden were dancing, and all of a sudden you were like, "Are they dancing to Bowie?" Like. What? Just bringing back. I was going to say, this is the musical. This is the Knight's Tale musical. Totally. I And I adore it. And I know we've talked about before where you're like, oh, cover songs, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, man, they kind of make me excited. But making a whole jukebox music, musical, which I just learned, um, is so much fun because you get to pick and choose these wonderful songs and throw them into your storyline and breathe new life into it and oh boy it was a eargasm and eyegasm for me the whole time and it is every time I watch it okay enough about me what did everyone else think well if I can just speak to the fact that you and I started becoming we went beyond school acquaintances and it started becoming friends in 2001 16 17 And I remember being in some high school classes with you when this came out and how it like rocked your world so hard that it was like all you talked about was (laughs) Moulin Rouge. And like when songs would come on, you'd be like, oh, this is from Moulin Rouge. (laughs) I'd be like, no, it's not. God damn it. (laughs) Moulin Rouge brought it back for the younger people. (laughs) So it was sort of a full circle moment for me because I had not seen it. um, Certainly not then. Uh, I had two girlfriends in high school, and the one who I'm more, much more happy to discuss or remember, I should say, much the one I'm much more <laughs> fondly re- recall. Let me let me take a take a take two on that. The one I'm much more <laughs> the one I recall with a lot more fondness made me watch Moulin Rouge. But I think that would have been like probably 2003, 2004. But we didn't even finish it. I don't remember how far in it we got. I think we got pretty far, and but we were like watching it before we had to go to work and just never finished it. And that's about as far as I got with Moulin Rouge until, I guess technically last Tuesday. I watched it last Tuesday. Yay. <laughs> I could not watch this and not just think of you the entire time. I feel like having, had I been able to watch it with you, I think it would have been a much more fun experience, but I think you would have been just enraged at my general this kind of like meh about it like I think I, when I take notes about these kinds of things or when I take notes about these musicals we watch it's very much just like coming from like I'm just watching it because it's there and not like having an emotional connection with it yeah. 
So, like, my notes are like, huh, little sound of music tag at the beginning. Setting a tone of Studio 54, 1899, Summer of Love. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. I think I put a question mark because I intended to look that up. <laughs> like, that, was it? But the whole thing is an intentional mind fuck, you know? Like, even to the very last thing where the gun bounces off the Eiffel Tower, and you're like, that's ridiculous! You know what I mean? It's to it's yeah. like a mixing of everything, and nothing makes sense, and all of a sudden you're like, are we watching a movie where they're all dancing to Nirvana and I know you love that part the most. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I do have a note that I was like, okay, it's at the beginning. We got it out of the way and now I can like move you on. Can relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was, uh, there was one thing I wanted to note and then I'll probably just turn it over to Rob to talk about sort of his initial impressions. John Leguizamo as a dwarf, I think was a casting choice that wouldn't happen today. Yeah. I thought the way that they kind of did like camera tricks to make him seem that way and body doubles and stuff was interesting, but huh. I did find it jarring the fact that every time he was on screen, they had to basically just put his head in it. It was just a headshot because they couldn't show his body because he's obviously not a dwarf. But I thought that was an interesting choice and very of the time, I think. But with my 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 musical choice for this week, we'll take that to the nth degree. And you're going to be like, you thought John Leguizamo being a casting choice for a dwarf was bad? What are you even talking about with this? So I'm excited. It, it oh, kind of okay. cued me in. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm searing both of you trying to talk at the same time. So I'm just going to shut up and give someone else a turn. I just want to add on to the thing where you said it wouldn't happen now, John Leguizamo being... Um, a small person. I don't. I also am not sure they'd go ahead with a bunch of white people doing the Hindi dancing. I when I, I started and I was like, oh man, I thought that was so cool when I saw it, and now I'm feeling a little appropriationy, a little like Nicole Kidman trying to do some. I don't feel good about it right now, but whatever. We're moving on. We're moving on. Okay, that's all I wanted to add. Robert. Gwen Stefani hero Juku girl vibe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, those were kind of my initial uh, thoughts on it. Rob, what did, how'd you come into it? Well, I, well, first of all, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Ah! I think it's, I think it's one of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, yes. Baz Luhrmann, who also did Australia, who also did Romeo and Juliet. Like he's, it's visionary. Like when this came out to the theater, not only did I love the songs and then actually learn songs for the first time that I hadn't really been big on, like whether it was Elton John or whatever, it actually just made me like songs of different artists that I knew and loved kind of yes. already. And it just made all of them familiar. Like, so, um, like I knew uh, Nirvana and I had grown up with a lot of stuff in the 90s, but then there was a lot of older classic rocks, like uh, the, the the first song that comes in, David Bowie. Is it about a boy? Or sorry, it's... Um, Nature Boy. But Nature Boy, yes, thank you. So I didn't know that was his song until after I saw the movie. And so it brought all of that classic rock music to a new generation, which I think is something that's so cool that this, like, what would you call it? Jukebox musical? Yeah, jukebox, jukebox musical. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it did for me. And, um, but visually it was stunning. And, um, I think that it's one of those, it's one of those stories I think that would actually translate really well to stage if, if they have, I don't know if they have done it on Broadway sure they or sure they probably they have. have, but like, you know, the set design and the costumes and everything being so lush and extravagant. I didn't see anything wrong with any appropriation. I have no discomfort with any kind of, you know, 
cultural appropriation at all. Then again, I'm a white guy, so what I have to say probably doesn't matter. But <laughs> we don't get an opinion on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but but at the time, I mean, it was accurate for the time. They still did all a lot a lot of that stuff at the turn of the century at the Moulin Rouge. They you know they still did blackface well they didn't show that in the movie but i'm sure performers did it on the stage um <laughs> in the most exaggerated awful ways and they did stuff that would be quote unquote like from the orient in their lavish lavish extravagant costumes and headdresses and they stole all that stuff so that was yeah. accurate actually of the time it wasn't just the movie trying to depict something new that no one had done before it had been done they did that i just you know the music all is so um, so much fun to listen to if you listen to the soundtrack alone but then when you watch the film like when I saw this and it came out I was so gobsmacked at the visuals and the richness and the changing of shots and the number of shots like when you watch Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet it's an eyegasm yeah. when you watch when you watch this like I, I was I was basically also having an eyegasm in the cinema like I was just like I blew my load like a million times because it was just so fucking gorgeous to look at like the colors and like and just the the cinematography and the lighting and like the way Nicole Kidman's sultry like bright blue eyes like show up in that bright white light when she's coming down from the chair in that first opening scene when you see her and you're just like wow like it literally the, the visuals just took my breath away I remember seeing this movie the, for the first time never ever seeing I never ever had seen anything like it yes, so I totally. think that I think that's a I think that's a testament to just Baz Luhrmann like his directorial style of his his cinematography his eye the way he composes shots the way he does the lighting craft and the costumes and the set deck and whoever whatever people he all has around him they're all fucking brilliant at what they do because it's it's a breathtaking masterpiece of a movie like it's a classic that that should live on for years as like I, I was I was actually kind of pissed off and like I, I was just I thought it was such a disgrace that it didn't win more awards when it came out. I was kind of surprised that like it didn't win more Academy Awards or more notoriety, but I think maybe it lives on as a cult classic. It won a lot of awards. If you check out the Wikipedia page for awards and honors, it was nominated and actually won quite a lot. It won two Oscars. But it was like production That's, design and costume design. It was art direction and costume design. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. They're not the artists. The awards that it won are not necessarily like it didn't like clean up at the mainstream award awards. But the uh, AACTA, the Australian Academy Cinema Television Arts, Nicole Kidman's hometown, <laughs> it won one, two, three, four, five of those for best cinematography, best editing, best sound, wow. best production design best costume design was nominated for best film nominated for best direction best actor best actress and best actor in a supporting role like cool and uh it won quite a quite a lot so i don't sorry i i don't want to stomp all over your your thoughts but I, it's it's actually quite impressive how many awards it was nominated for and won I know what he's saying though like that no academy awards and blah 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 like it seems very low considering we were just in the theater. You were 
blowing your load and I was verklempt the whole time. Like we do different I things. thought it should have won best. <laughs> I I thought it should have won best picture that year because I had never seen anything remotely like it and it was yep. so magnificent. And I just remember watching the Oscars that year as well being, you know, in high school. That was just something I did every year with my friends. We'd have a little Oscar party and remember thinking I remember thinking at the time just like the two awards it won were not even close to how many it should have raked up yeah. at the academy. I, so I that's what I that's what I meant to say is like yeah, it should have cleaned up and it should have just like Nicole Kidman was incredible and so was Ewan and just the, the director like hello, like I don't know what the fuck director won that year but pff, no, didn't deserve it. Sorry. And it's well and it's you know like in musicals where they're like, you know, warming up to a song and you're like uh, here it is here it is there's never a second i don't find there's a second in this movie where you have a second to think you might be bored like yeah. right from the beginning it's like smash smash next scene here's what's going on here's the storyline he's gonna sing we move right on and like within the first 15 minutes you're just you're like what have i just seen like this has just blown my mind the story's been said i'm so excited you know what I mean? There is yeah. no... My ADD never kicked in for one second. And at this time, people were still going to the theater in droves. And mm-hmm. there was such a huge... Like, we didn't have the streaming as big as we do now. We didn't have all of the other ways to access media. And, and pe- you know, like, the theaters were thriving. I mean, the big blockbuster pictures that came out that year when I'm looking... It was like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, which uh, whether you like that film or not, that director is one of my favorite directors. He's just incredible. Um, Steven Soderbergh, um, Gladiator, I, I believe one best picture. So, okay. I think it was Beautiful Mind that won best picture that year. I'll look it up. You guys keep talking. I got it. Oh, I, I have it <laughs> open. It? Yeah, because okay. I was like, right. who did win? I, yeah, I, I'm so, I d- never go to the theaters these days, and I'm so glad I did for that, because I'm pretty sure I went several times as well, of course. It's it's a heck of an experience, you know, not having seen it, I felt like I kept, like, hitting back to, like, be like, what did I just miss, or what was that? Cinematography-wise, especially, like, when they're doing that whole scene where Nicole Kidman's changing while she sings Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Mm. Like, what an incredibly blocked and out shot and it's like they you know it has a lot of edits i basically went back and i was like is that actually a one but it was just edited so well that you kind of didn't really notice Mm. i would have been really impressed if they'd done that all as a one but (laughs) wait was this was was this uh up for awards in 2001 or 2002 it was the 74th because it, Academy. Because it came out in 2001. Yeah, okay, so I'm looking at the wrong year. That's why. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I sounds, really... That sounds like probably what you sounded like at the theater, too. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, extra, yeah. Extra napkins, roll three. Um, Maybe, yeah. Good reminder. Clean up an aisle four. Behind Rob with the movies. Yeah. <laughs> Do we want to talk uh, more about the music? Because I kind of dig into the music a little bit, because that's actually what this podcast is about, but whatever. Definitely. We should definitely talk about the music. But I, can I just say real quick uh, yeah. I really enjoyed seeing Kylie Minogue 
as the Green Fairy. Yes! Uh, and I was like, oh, fairy. Michael Hutchins connection! Oh, yes! Yeah. Like, oh, look at us tying episodes together all, like, with a bow by accident. I was like, yes, yeah, so Kylie Minogue, Green Fairy, Michael Hutchins' fever dream is my note. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Yes, the music. Uh, I had forgotten how much of this mu movie uses music written for other purposes. Like, I, not having seen it, I knew there was Teen Spirit. I knew that it used more modern music, and a lot of the music wasn't written specifically for it. It was kind of just rearranged. But I'd forgotten how much was in it. Totally. And it was really, really fun to every time you heard a song go, who actually sang that? Because, I, I mean, I, I knew a lot of them, but a lot of them I didn't. And, it, and I listened to all the originals of all the songs because the only song that I think was originally written was Come What May, but it was originally written for Romeo and Juliet and I don't think it was used or something something so they recycled it for this, but the rest oh. is, the rest is recycled bullshit. I mean, amazing. Your like, song is, isn't that just oh you and, is, wasn't, that's is Elton John? Yeah, oh. that's, that's Elton John's first big hit. Yeah. Oh, okay. That explains it, because I don't like Elton John. Never mind. Never mind. All right. I was going to say, actually, I thought that my struggle to enjoy covers and to enjoy sort of rock songs that have been transplanted into movies in this way, I was, and um, used for like weird purposes, it really took a while for it to grow on me. But I when the Your Song part, I just kept thinking, wow, it really speaks to the how good this song is, because I found myself singing along quite unexpectedly or unintentionally. I was just like, God damn, this song is good. And I'm sorry, Rob, I am a big Elton John. I'm a big Elton John fan. It sounds good <laughs> when they sing it, I find. That's the difference. Well, I, I didn't grow up listening to a lot of Elton John. I like Elton John. I don't I don't know if I know a ton of his I mean, I know all the hits, but that's what was like Rob said earlier. Fun about this movie is like, oh yeah, I thought this song was amazing, and now you and McGregor seems to be nailing the shit out of it. And you're just like, <laughs> and then you go back and listen to the original, and then you have kind of that new breath of life with the original going. Oh, it is a fucking good song. Like, yeah, I'm not crazy jazzed on Elton, but all the time. But wow, like I, you know, kind of bringing all those songs together. Like that must be so much fun. I think that's my dream job is either doing the soundtrack to a movie or making a crazy jukebox musical. I think that would be a riot. <laughs> but the um the diamonds are a girl's best friend. I see I'm looking at the track listing. I don't see that. Where is that in the track listing? Because didn't Marilyn Monroe originally sing that in some like it hot or some big musical? Um It was well, Marilyn Monroe that sang it. Marilyn Monroe sang it, right? Yes, pretty sure. I haven't seen any Marilyn Monroe movies, but I believe that is one of her more famous cinematic moments. I don't see it on the track list on Spotify. Gentlemen prefer blondes. Gentlemen prefer blondes is what it's from. And it's Marilyn Monroe who sang it. And I love that song. It's so much fun. It's fantastic when she does the sequence, uh, the dancing in that film. If you ever watch the original, it's been replicated as an iconic like dance number. Uh, yeah, so from the 1953 film, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, but I just didn't see it on the track listing. Instead, I saw uh, Sparkling, Sparkling Diamonds. Diamonds. Yeah, Sparkling Diamonds. So I was wondering, hmm, who wrote that originally? And then just for shits and giggles, in the middle of it, they throw in a Material Girl line, just to yeah. make sure you're still paying attention. 
Like I that things like that in that movie where they just throw in a little nod and I'm like I caught it and I got it. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I I kind of intended to do like trivia for this and one of them was going to be how many songs are actually in this movie. But I probably uh, could tell admittedly you. I I never got around to it. Well, I definitely <laughs> broke down Elephant Love Medley so we can get to that. Um All right. But as Rob said, starts out with Nature Boy by Bowie. Also, didn't actually know that Bowie song, but I'll be totally honest, I don't know a lot of Bowie songs. Mm. And what's really cool, because like this is what I'm saying about this movie, it's like all my favorite things come together. Boz Lerman, Ewan McGregor, Bowie and Massive Attack. Like, they do a redo of Nature Boy and Massive Attack is on it. And I was a huge Massive Attack fan at the time, and I was just like, mind blown. <laughs> and then I don't know if we want to do it in the order that it came in the movie or in the order that it's on the soundtrack. Probably the soundtrack makes more sense. But I would say Lady Marmalade was like Lady Marmalade was the most exciting thing to come out of this because when you're a girl in high school and you know what? I wasn't you knew me. I was not a pop girl. But this song was so much fucking fun. Like, it was just ridiculous. It was like, let's get four of the biggest female stars that just nailed the snot out of this song. Yeah. Um, what a riot. I just, it was, that was another moment where, like, it comes on in the movie and I'm like, oh my God, here I go, here I go again. The day I watched this movie, I had a Facebook memory from many years ago which just said, if you ain't dirty, you ain't here to party. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was like, oh, and I'm watching Christina. So I guess funny. at the time she was called X Tina. Of course, she's too cool. To stop it. <laughs> but uh, she's I an amazing singer, and they do. And I never like—I never liked Pink. And I was like, it doesn't matter. They're all so good in this song. And then right after that, you know, just to throw it all up, Fat Boy Slim. Let's throw Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> Why not? Because we can into the middle of this. It's so wild. So as Rob said, Sparkling Diamonds is right after that. And then Rhythm of the Night, which is an 80s song by DeBarge, which I recognize but didn't really know. But when you listen to the original, it's like, oh my God, this is so funny. <laughs> Who got to pick these songs? Who was like, you know what? I'm thinking DeBarge for this. I'm thinking... <laughs> You know what? No. No. This is happening. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know what? I want you two to cover a T-Rex song. Well, how do we feel about it? Like, shut up. Man, I wish that was my job. <laughs> so your song, which what you and McGregor nails the shit of, which is Elton John. Children of the Revolution. I don't I didn't really love this this song. Um, I also don't like you two. So that might have like been the why. U2 song, no doubt. Yeah. But man, when I Googled the T-Rex original, it's a party, but I love T-Rex. I mean, I don't know a lot about T-Rex, but it's so, they have this very quintessential sound. And as soon as they start saying it, you're like, much better, much better. Bono should not have touched it. Should have let that one go. Yeah. Um, and it's so cool that they use like, you know, we're the children of the revolution and they kept using that term and like they're referencing a T-Rex song. Like it, I love how much they threw the music into it. Like they were literally taking lines from songs and making a part of the dialogue. Like it's ridiculous. Exactly. Well, it's, nice, it's nice too that for a movie like this, like we talked about the cinematography, it's almost like it's ultraviolet. It's just like so much color. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's even just watching it on streaming service. I can't imagine what this would look like in like 4K QLED, like high def and stuff like that. Yes. Probably just being astonishing. But the fact that they purposefully worked in songs from the glitter era of music, yeah, I think is really great. Like T-Rex, David Bowie are the two that are coming to mind right off the bat that you mentioned. I like that. I, I think the glitter scene is something that kind of gets forgotten a little bit along with disco. And it's sort of like, don't talk about it. Yes. You know, Mark Bolin and all of them. But it's just like, no, it was good. And it, there's a lot of things that happened as a result of that. A lot of, you know, a lot of the, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Cinema? I don't know. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I can't you think. I just. Sentence. I don't know. It's you know, like artists that are like very. Why can't I think of the word? Artists know. like Marilyn Manson and Alice Cooper, like those. Oh, shock rock. Theatrical. That's the word I'm okay. looking for. The, the very like the big like lots of makeup and big theatrical artists and stuff yes. like Rob Zombie and those people. Yeah. Like they all kind of like the glitter scene, kind of gave that was the first step in that direction yeah and i'm glad that this movie paid a little bit of homage to that because it it quite often gets forgotten about you've seen velvet gold mine right i've asked you this a hundred times once a long 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 time ago i have seen you and mcgregor naked on the screen oh yeah. i mean many in <laughs> uh, yeah. i, I, I won't even tell movie. you how hard it was for me to find one of his original movies that he ever did which is like basically japanese pornography but i found it Anyways, you... And it's worn out. It's gone. You'll... I think you'll really appreciate Velvet Goldmine again now, since we're, like, talking more about music and how crazy that storyline is and how they bring that to life. That's a good point. It would be worth watching that again. Yeah. And just because I adore it. Can I just say that I thought... I have a note about the Rhythm of the Night portion of the movie. I had... That it has some serious Michael Bay cuts. Um, yeah, I found that like the rhythm of the night part where like you and McGregor is so disoriented, like the way they edited that together and cut it the way like in like a Michael Bay Transformers movie really got across the feeling of disorientation that he was feeling in that moment. Right. Yes. Yeah. And again, <laughs> uh, speaking to the cinematography and the editing of this film, just being really spot on something like it's it's interesting when you watch something like a Michael Bay movie where that editing is so jarring, you feel like it's ripping you out of the movie where this is it's done in such a way that it makes you just feel the way christian did like yes. what is happening to me right yeah. now like, i can't follow much. any of this if, yeah. yeah you're just so overstimulated you can't follow it it's just cut 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 and it's just everything's happening at once so i was like wow what <laughs> what a really cool cinematography or editing choice yeah it's like a little trick to put you with the character yeah very interesting very good point yeah I yeah, yeah. Pull that together. Um, the most boring part of the movie for me, One Day I'll Fly Away, Nicole Kidman. Mm. Very much worth listening to the original by a woman named Randy Crawford, who has a really special, spectacular voice. And I'd never heard of her, but she is 850 times better than Nicole Kidman on that song. <laughs> I didn't know that was a cover, so that was something I learned. Beck covers Diamond Dogs, which is a Bowie song, which of course Another I didn't Bowie know. Song. Yeah, because I don't know anything about David Bowie. Elephant Love Medley. This was definitely... It's actually playing right now, and I remember the exact point in this when I was in the theater and just started crying. <laughs> it was like too much. It was too much. It was the buildup. I was like pulling out all the songs. I didn't. I don't think I pulled out all of them. And then when they jump into the final thing, I think I just start crying into my hands. Um, 
So, all the songs from Elephant Love Medley. Are we ready? All right. All You Need Is Love, The Beatles. I'm sure you picked that up right away. I Was Made For Loving You, Kiss. One More Night, Phil Collins. In the Name of Love, You Too. Don't Leave Me This Way by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Silly Love Songs by Wings. Up Here <laughs> Where We Belong by Joe Cocker. Canadian Connection, co-written by Buffy St. Marie. Canadian yes, Indigenous Lady, um, amazing song. Mm. And then into I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, which is usually when I start crying. And then final line is uh, your song by Elton John. Who mm. came up with this? <laughs> I love I love Silly Love Song by Wings. Wings is actually, I, I love Paul McCartney for doing that. It's it's so funny. I saw him in a video uh, a few days ago on YouTube and Paul McCartney was talking about how he had to reinvent himself because Michael Jackson bought all of the Beatles music and oh, the yeah, Beatles cat. Oh my God. It was so such a funny video. If you get a chance to see it, segue here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how, Mike, how Paul McCartney is talking about Michael Jackson approaching him and basically joking about buying his music. And he's, he's like, yeah, you know, Michael came up to me and he just seemed like this really sweet guy. And then he just sort of, he was like, he was like, I'm going I'm gonna, to buy your songs. I'm going to buy, they're going to be mine. I'm going to buy them. And he's just like, no, you're not. Fuck off. Like, just, he thinks nothing of it. And then every time he sees Michael Jackson, Michael's just like, I'm going to get yours. I'm going to get your songs. And then he did. And he was just like, what the fuck? Such a funny story. But I love how, I love Paul McCartney. I always have. And I love how he reinvented himself and did Wings. And uh, that song is uh, close to my heart because I love that whole Wings album. I love almost everything by them except actually they have a couple duds i'm not gonna lie <laughs> the, bl- the bluebird not song all. not so great and the waterfall song a little bit lame oh my god that's so funny Mall of Kentucky. oh i love that song <laughs> only because i feel like i was there and they played it when we were in scotland and i was just like <laughs> ah <laughs> I just have to say, because you brought up Buffy St. Marie, and every time somebody does, I have to point out how her son has the best name. Dakota Star Blanket Wolfchild? Yeah, I already decided I'm changing my name. I wish that was my name. It can't be, because I'm not indigenous. That's rude. I'm I'm appropriating it. It's not fair that someone gets to have that name. I also got... Go, go, go. I got to do uh, IT work in the... uh, in a tribal... Uh, head office here in Edmonton when I first moved and uh, the chief of the tribe that I was doing sport for at the time his name was Chief Rusty Three Fingers oh man wow and I was like this man's name is the Tetanus Shocker and it's just (laughs) that's not fair it's true it's true that's not fair I'm sorry that's that's my only that's hilarious. That's, that's all I got about that. No, I was watching a TV show all weekend that I basically didn't leave my couch, and I won't. I'm embarrassed to say it's about Formula One, and it's a document series, and I'm very documentary series that I'm 100% committed to now. There was a moment this weekend where Alex, my partner, came up, and I was on the couch putting away my tools in my toolbox and watching Formula One, and he's like, "Are you the man of this house?" I'm like, "I always have been. I always have been." <laughs> 
Anyways, there's a carrot. So Thanks what for the, catching up, babe. Yeah, yeah, I know. These are my tools, and I'm watching Marison. Is supper ready yet? <laughs> yeah, I wish. The head of the Mercedes racing team's name is... Red Bull. It's Mercedes. No, 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 it's Mercedes. Okay. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about something else. Um, oh, yeah, that was another big sidetrack. <laughs> Gary Hallowell all of a sudden shows up in this. Um, the head of the Mercedes driving team is Toto Wolf. Yes. And I was, like, changing my name. Name has been changed. <laughs> Toto Wolf. That is it. <laughs> and then I yeah, told Alex, we have a boy. Its name is Toto Wolf. The end. Amazing. Pretty great name. But, yeah, that was – I did totally text you because the head of the Red Bull team is married to Ginger Spice. And yeah. all of a sudden they show her, like, walking on their giant British estate with donkeys. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was Ginger Spice. Oh, my God, it's Jerry. Oh, my God. And it's so wild because he seems like such a big dork. I'm like, he's very successful, but he seems a little <laughs> dorky. I mean, it's cute. cute. <laughs> I, I got to say, I, I didn't say anything at the time because I thought this might come up when we were recording. I got a great deal of like chuckly satisfaction out of your text messages about that because I talked about it in our Spice Girls episode, how she was married to the team. Yes, and that would have gone right over my and head. And you were just like, oh, yeah, okay. Can we talk Don't about care. literally anything else? <laughs> and, now, and then you're like texting me like, oh my God. <laughs> because I became really committed about something that make any sense and I really didn't leave my couch for 48 hours because I was like oh my god you know who's going to Renault they're racing again there's so much like young European boys that I need to watch out for here um anyways <laughs> and then it was just yeah I would have never put that together and then I was like oh god I remember you saying something like that but you it would it would have been like I it just would have gone into oblivion you being like something about racing I'm like okay bye Anyways, yeah. I'm into it. Brent's talking about F1 again. Yeah, well, talk to me about F1. I know everything. Holy shit. I uh, know everything right now. I, I would love to talk to you about F1. Maybe not in a podcast form, but I love watching F1. Have you watched I have that no one Netflix? to talk to. Have you watched the Netflix series? All of it. Um, and yeah, and I also have watched the Ayrton Senna documentary like twice, which you should watch. And I also have watched like every F1 race this year and most of them last year. Holy, I'm behind. You're leaving me in the know. dust here. I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy it live because I kind of like them like cutting to the head of the team and being like, what the fuck's going on? Fuck. And all the whole team being like, no. And I am i don't know if I'm going to like it <laughs> like actually watching the race because the drama is kind of the best part. But um, I'll I'm put it to you committed. this way. I, I started learning about F1 kind of by accident because of Ayrton Senna and... Uh, it took me about four years of like watching documentaries about it and watching the F1 Netflix stuff and sort of following it online, like who was winning and before I actually got to the point this year where I paid for an F1 subscription to watch every race. Oh. So I basically accidentally learned enough about F1 that I could watch the races and understand what was happening because otherwise it's just like they're driving around. Yeah. But I'm now desperate to go on a racetrack for sure. I'm like, <laughs> and as soon as I had watched it for a far too long, I drove to the grocery store and I was a fucking maniac. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to pass this person on a single lane in front of a school. Woo-hoo! Like, too much. It was a good time. Uh, F1. I don't know how we got there. Sorry, everyone. From Moulin Rouge to F1. Yeah. 
we're everywhere. It's, we're recording on the on a weird night, although it'll be our new night, and it's fine. Did it's you fine. guys know there's a volume two? Soundtrack volume two? Yes. So Moulin Rouge has a volume two, not that we had to listen to it, but I just, there were a few major songs that I can't believe didn't get on the first one. Um, so I was watching the movie as I was making notes. So after Elephant Love Medley, um, there's Like a Virgin, Jim Broadbent, also yeah. a man I love very much. He is the dad from Bridget Jones, which I think is the greatest movie alive. He's wonderful in his own right. He's been in lots of movies. But he sings Madonna's Like a Virgin, and it didn't make it on the volume one. And it's wonderful and fantastic. This is followed by Come What May, so composed for Romeo and Juliet. So that is the only really original song that I'm aware of. Also another part in the movie where I just was watching it and remember being floored was when they start doing the tango to Roxanne. Like, what the fuck? Who decided to make a police song into a tango scene? Like, shut up. These people are brilliant. So ridiculous. <laughs> Gerald Zidler really had a Wizard of Oz vibe too, which yeah. I enjoyed. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. The show must go on, obviously covering Queen uh, is on volume two. Hmm. I say, then I it's that Hindu dance thing. I don't know anything about that song, but I did skip one song that happened at the beginning, which is more Canadian content, which is uh, Rufus Wainwright. Okay. Oh yeah, uh, which song is his? As the Complaint de la Bulle en français. It is track 13, but it's what really fucked me up about this track listings is there, it's kind of done in order of the movie, except for Rufus Wainwright. And it's Weird. Like right in the wrong spot. So that's why I skipped it. His mom, of course, is uh, McGarrickle, his sisters of the McGarrickle sisters, who was Canadian. So there's a bit of CanCon on this Moulin Rouge soundtrack. Buffy and Rufus, great names. Nice. Okay, that's me ripping down every single song about who it was, but amazing. Boiled down to me realizing I need to listen to more T-Rex, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you you had this whole thing about the elephant medley and how lovely it was. And my note was, the whole all you need is love thing is pretty cringy. Yeah, but that's so funny because it just builds on that. You're like, oh yeah, that, oh. And then it keeps going and you're like, holy fuck. Like, okay, <laughs> we're going places. We're just ripping <laughs> references from everywhere. So I know Rob kind of said it earlier that this was like nothing he's ever seen, but am I missing out on other musicals that are like this? That are kind of of this... I guess jukebox vibe. Does someone else do know. this? Because it like I felt the same way as Rob. I was like, this is like nothing I've ever seen, and it has changed my life forever. Uh, popular jukebox musical movies across the universe: Mamma Mia, Valley Girl, Rock of Ages, Rocket Man, Jersey Boys, Sing, Blues Brothers. Purple and basically, rain. I think our point is made, which all of those other movies blow asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Across the Universe is the one that I took my dad to and we didn't know it was a musical. And as soon as they came out singing, it won't be long that we, my dad was like, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play Correct <laughs> choice. That is a correct choice. Uh, I love the Beatles. Hated that film. I couldn't get through it. 
I couldn't even get through it high. I was it was recommended yeah. to me to watch that movie high. Like, oh the it's so like so many colors, it's wonderful, it's so it's let's get high and watch it. And I think the only part that was good about being high is I was so high, I had no idea what was going on. And so it's, it was that level of being high where it's like things are just kind of happening, but you're it's sort like of you're in a dream fog. Coma. Yeah. Because if you hadn't been, you would have been like raging against it. Yeah. <laughs> or a nightmare. At some point, coma. it ended, and I was like, "What the hell just happened?" Like anyway. So, although <laughs> something maybe we should do as like a fun troll to eat ourselves. April Fool's Day or something is watch the BG Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. What is that? That is a musical, a jukebox musical from 1978. Shut up. And it is amongst the worst movies ever made. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I have never seen Mamma Mia. I don't know what Valley Girl is. I think I watched Rock of Ages and probably enjoyed it because it was just this. I. I don't remember hating it. I haven't seen Rocket Man, and I hear it's not good. It's not. I love the Blues Brothers because yes. that's the first time I ever laid eyes on Aretha, and that was when our love affair began or continued. Mm-hmm. I guess is Tommy a jukebox musical? Yes. Yeah. I thought it was weird how um, Bohemian Rhapsody came out, and then it was like we needed we needed a huge blockbuster movie about the other gay who wasn't nearly as attractive or smarmy. <laughs> Or sexy in any way, but it had to be about Elton John, and it was just, they came out right at the exact same time, and I just couldn't, couldn't do it. I was just like, this fucking sucks. Hard act to follow. Hard act to follow. I think I saw that on opening night, of course, in the theaters, the expensive, weird theaters, and I was like, oh my god, this is so good. And then when I saw, you know, almost couple months later rocket man was coming out i'm like don't care all i can think of when i think of rocket man honestly is stewie griffin doing it in family guy yes and he's doing it man he's doing it the william shatner style exactly <laughs> yeah. i found that i didn't like bohemian rhapsody and because of that i heard that rocket man was worse and i was like that's a hard pass Oh, I love Bohemian Rhapsody. I really didn't like it. Why? And I think it's gonna be a long, long time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna be... Hi. Uh, I, I, did, I didn't like it because I knew a fair bit about you knew the ending? Queen's history. <laughs> I knew the ending. I knew a fair bit about Queen's history, and I just sat there watching it the whole time going, this has been massively edited. Oh, I knew it wasn't even accurate. I didn't even care. It drove me crazy. I, I feel like, like your sentiment, Bryn, I feel like your sentiment is very anti-LGBTQIA2 plus 9, 5 squared. And I feel like I'm offended, and I feel like your opinion was just violence to me. I just want to say that right now. <laughs> I, had, I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't a documentary. Like I knew it wasn't totally accurate. I knew they were Disneyfying it when they were like, "Oh, and this happened." And I was just like, "I don't care. This guy's doing such a great job with the character." And then, like, it was just fun. I w- like. I'm not like an accuracy fact checker. I'm sure it was all garbage. Mm. But I was. Like, this is such a fun romp, and this is my yeah. music and then the live aid was just like what? i remember i remember being so blown away as well 
at when I went to see this in theater of Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, I, d I didn't know it was going to be a 3D movie because it was like they made Freddie Mercury's teeth like explode out of the theater. And it was almost like they were hitting me in my chair. Like they were so massive. That's I had to so duck funny. in my seat. Yeah, when he turned towards me in the screen, I was like, whoa. That is so funny. I, I did enjoy that the guy that plays John Deacon was the little boy in the original Jurassic Park movie. That made me happy. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Guess he didn't get eaten up by Hollywood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, he learned how to not get eaten by dinosaurs, so Hollywood didn't stand a chance. That's right. Uh, we'll do. We'll. I'm sure we'll talk about Bohemian Rhapsody another time. Can I just need to? Okay. I, I'm sorry, but I have to talk about this in a pandemic world. How in the hell do they not realize that Nicole Kidman has given all of them tuberculosis? <laughs> they say she has consumption, which is tuberculosis, which is passed through spit and the air is basically COVID in the way that it's passed. And she's like singing and kissing and like up in everybody's face. And it's like, this woman has just killed everyone in this entire Yeah, movie. I wondered and about that. And they would actually. have known that because at the turn of the century, I actually looked into this. The research I did do was on tuberculosis Fantastic. because that's just who I am. I'm glad that's, that's what you got out of this, yeah. <laughs> it was that Nicole Kidman, this is actually Moulin Rouge 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo, would just be them all dead inside the theater <laughs> but at the turn of the century tuberculosis was like a massive problem it's like it was yeah. killing more people than covid yeah. is now almost you're absolutely and it right for, right for years and it had been for years and so at in 1990 or 1899 they would have known that if she had consumption to get her the fuck out of there Right. Totally. And that's, that's the part that drove me crazy especially oh. watching it in the covid world right. i was just like ah. she was allowed to spew she was allowed yeah. to spew her little germs in all their mouths and their face holes. They could not have got her out of there because the show must go on, Bryn. I don't know if you caught the point of the movie. Yeah, that's actually one on. of the songs, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the show must go on is about how Freddie Mercury was about to die. So, yeah, I guess that yes. all tracks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I just, I, I couldn't get through this without that. Woof. <laughs> I also, and I was going to avoid bringing this up, but I've watched, I have never been a huge Nicole Kidman fan, but of course this was like, wow, she did a pretty How good job. You. She can never do a proper accent, and I have now watched her in several other things, and I just started a TV show where she's playing a Russian, and I'm like, oh no, because she, <laughs> God bless her, cannot do a fucking accent to save her life. It always comes up as a garbled Australian something. And there's that one part where she yells in the movie, she's like, I won't do it! And I'm like, oh, Aussie girl. That was full Aussie. <laughs> and it's just funny that I happen to be watching a TV show where I'm like, oh my god, she's Russian Aussie. F fascinating. <laughs> it's like John Malkovich trying to be British. Listen, oh, if you, if you want me to come back, if you want me to come back to this podcast, Angie, you are going to have to recant everything you just said <laughs> about Nicole Kidman because she is the best actor I have ever laid eyes on and is brilliant and can do no wrong and is flawless and perfect in every way. Robert, you know that Nicole Kidman has had so much plastic surgery that her last TV shows, she really can only smile and kind of not do a lot. I was so glad this movie was pre- plastic face because she really has a hard time making emotional faces now because something <laughs> has happened 
it doesn't matter. She still brings emotion to my face, and that's all that matters. Even if her face is like silly putty over a knee. <laughs> no, you're right, Bryn. I just looked it up. I just, yeah, that's a very cool COVID segue because in 2018, 10 million people fell ill with TB. I'm getting this off Google. And 1.5 million people died. And so, but now we're at a point where how many people have died of COVID? It's, isn't it over 5 million? Worldwide? I'm not sure. Worldwide? I'm pretty sure it is. But yeah, you're right. Like if, you know, they all would have been wearing masks back then, although they didn't know the science about masking up. So they still just let people cough in their, cough in their face holes. Well, they didn't. I think the mask thing was first done in the, the flu of 1918. So this would have predated that. But from what I could tell, TB had been like a killer for a long time. Like they had sanitariums and stuff built, right? Where they used to send these people away. And so that kind of really sucked me out of it. And, it. and it's probably only because of when we're watching this movie. But it was just like, come on. They they can't they knew she had consumption. I can't believe that sucked you out of this movie. <laughs> well, that so, and the fact that they are all just the most petty, horrible people. <laughs> Four point five million people apparently died of COVID worldwide. So there you go. COVID has surpassed TB stats. It's impressive because we yeah because in a we, horrible way <laughs> yeah in a pretty scary way for sure. Wow, that's an uplifting note. <laughs> oh wow, Nicole Kidman dated Robbie Williams? Whoa, whoa. Didn't you just really basically have one hit? No, not in England anyways. He was huge in England. Oh, I'm trying to think of what Robbie Williams did. Oh my god, stop. I have a whole Robbie Williams playlist. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was way bigger in the UK, I promise. He was. He was, from what I understand. So, yeah, we've been we're over time. Yeah. Which is fine. This- I like these longer episodes. Wrap it up. This is the greatest movie. I've seen nothing like it. It blew my mind. I was verklempt the whole time. Even when I watched it yesterday, there were four to five parts in the movie where I was like, don't start crying. This is so amazing. It just felt like a a smash up of all of my favorite things. Like it was being presented to me on a platter of, it's all about me. Holy fuck. I just thought it was awesome. And that's why I pitched it the end. I just want to jump here quickly and and apologize on Angie's behalf, Nicole. If you're listening, um, I listening. want you to know, I want you to know that you are loved. You basically have the voice of an angel, a god, a god, okay. and uh, you're beautiful. You're talented. Uh, you can basically do no wrong. You're my favorite actor in the world, and Except Angie every- was probably taking some uh, taking some wine with her crazy pills. Uh, because Except something every... came out of her mouth that she didn't intend to say. I remember <laughs> reading when she, The Undoing came out, someone being like, woo, Nicole and her American-Australian accent. I'm like, always! Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my final thoughts are a little bit less shining than yours, but... Yeah, because I, you I, watched I... a crazy Igasm musical and all you were thinking about was TB the whole time. How everybody should have... How she's infecting everyone with tuberculosis. How does this happen? Um, <laughs> just gives you a window into the uh, joy in my heart, I guess. Um, <laughs> I guess the the dramatic 
selfishness and pettiness of these characters aside, Ewan McGregor's, Ewan McGregor's Christian especially, it was a fun musical to watch. The cinematography was amazing. I think the acting was really, really good. I think there is sort of like all these like people that maybe you haven't seen in a while in it. At least for me, I hadn't watched a Nicole Kidman movie in a while. I hadn't watched a Ewan McGregor movie in a while. Uh, who is it uh, that plays Harold Ziegler? What, what's his name? Jim Broadbent. Yes. I hadn't seen him since I saw him in Harry Potter and his whole like Wizard of Oz vibe made me like it was as someone that like this, this musical thing. The most fun for me is that I don't watch musicals as a general rule. I will watch them with company and I usually screw around on my phone while they're on. But I'm watching these to like take notes and to talk about it as part of the podcast. So this has sort of been a fun experience for me. And I'm not upset that I watched this. And I'm glad that I finally watched Moulin Rouge because it's been something that like has been hanging over my head since I was like 18 years old. So yeah, it's good. And if you're someone that's like a cinema cinema nerd and you like editing and you like cinematography and that aspects of film and stuff, then you're probably going to really like this. Um, if you like really accurate and not jarring lip syncing, you won't like this movie. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. I'm just saying. <laughs> I have nothing took- left to say because I am just sitting here seething with anger. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole Kidman is a fine actress. <laughs> Except when she has to play someone with an accent that's not Australian or has to move her face now, which I mean, I still. Okay. All right, I think we're done. <laughs> I loved Big Little Lies, don't get me wrong. I watched it twice. She's great. Still haven't seen The Hours. No, me neither. So I got to pick something, I guess, for next week, eh? Yep, all you. All right, so I am taking us in a completely different direction. I am taking us back to 1960, and we're going to watch Mary Martin's Peter Pan. Oh, my oh. God, I love and so I'm glad to hear that because I was going to say, Angie, I'm really sorry, but all the songs are very descriptive about what's happening. Um, I think this is the one I watched as a kid all the time. It is the one I watched as a kid all the time, too. So yeah, the, the entire thing, the, yeah, the entire thing is on YouTube. So it's not streaming anywhere, but you can find the whole thing. All one hour, 40 minutes, 53 seconds of it are on YouTube. So just look it up. Okay. And we're going to watch that. I haven't seen this in full since I was a little kid. We'll talk about it, but in, I just wanted to go the complete opposite way of this amazing cinematographic, cinematic to gar- experience. To garbage. <laughs> yeah. This amazing cinematic uh, universe that we just came out of to something that was broadcast on television that literally looks like community theater. Yeah. And I, I cannot be more excited. And we're going to get to talk about, you know, John Louis Gazamo was like, shouldn't have been cast as a dwarf. Well, we get to watch the Native American song in this movie. Oh, and, God. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about it. Yeah. And we'll talk about how this is quite possibly the gayest Captain Hook that ever did live. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Nice. <laughs> so I'll leave you there. So thank you very much for listening. We're well longer than we normally go. Rob, thanks again for coming. Thank you. Guys, thanks so much. Angie, thank you for finally getting me to watch this movie. Woohoo! Thanks for watching it and just thinking about TV the whole time. Holy fuck. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And you are welcome, Angie, for Nicole Kidman's performances in all of her roles. I still feel like someone else could have done it better. Anyways, um, okay, bye. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. 
Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number Two Labyrinth. <laughs>